Kairos. This is your moment. Liberty is not man's idea, it's God's idea. We must participate in the public square. This is a moment in time that will define history as we know it, the furtherance of America as we know it. That's a powerful gift, freedom. And we're not gonna bow to tyranny. This isn't me standing, it's us. This is the moment for the body of Christ. We pray that there would be an awakening and a revival in the nation. In Jesus' name, amen. Happy Wednesday, everybody. I'm here with my buddy, Seth Gruber. Uh, we usually call it Wombs Day, I guess, because, you know, <laughs> pro-life. Yeah. Right. Well, I, I'm... We'll I'm get there. Uh, yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> uh, but, but Seth and I are going to be actually interviewing today our guest, which we haven't had him on our program before, and had the privilege to meet him through Charlie Kirk. Charlie actually connected with him. Uh, he's from uh, the town I went to school. Fresno. Uh, Fresno. Yeah, I went to Fresno State. And so uh, you're going to meet uh, our friend momentarily, but before we introduce you to our guest, and we're actually going to be talking about critical race theory. And last night, of course, uh, we, we had just a wonderful insight by David Engelhart as he took us through the Galatian study yeah. uh, on critical race theory. I thought it was remarkable. I posted this with a bunch of pastors across the country. I call them the BDO, the Brotherhood of the Defiantly Obedient. <laughs> yes. And uh, a couple of the brothers started chiming in, and two of them uh, was our guest tonight, and another was James Cadiz, and we're going to have him on tomorrow night. And so we, we had both of these guys saying, well, Galatians is a great study, but Romans is even far more epic when it comes yeah, yeah, to critical yeah. race theory. Awesome. And, and our own community is dealing with critical race theory as the largest Christian yeah. high school, Oaks Christian, is bringing in uh, Brian, uh, gosh, Lo uh, Loritz, yeah, Brian Loritz, pastor. And he is, we saw clips, yep. and this is just awful. It's syncretism. It's syncretism, and it's dividing the body of Christ. Yep. And a, a Christian school where you're paying tens of thousands of dollars a year, yep. and your children are being indoctrinated, not educated. Yep. And, and it's dividing the body of Christ. It, it's awful. And I, I was so blessed by David's study, and tonight with... Our guest, it's going to be even better. Yeah, yeah, awesome. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let, let's go through a couple of things because before we get to um, our guest, I'm just going to say Sam. I'll, I'll give everyone a teaser. <laughs> okay. Before we get to Sam, uh, I wanted to take you all through this fact check stuff that we've been dealing with across the country, just endless issues. And history is important. Yeah. Uh, that's why we call it Vintage McCoy. History matters. That's right. And you want to go to the original sources. You want to take a look at these things. And we're dealing with revisionist history in America right now, yeah. which is creating a problem. They, they're rewriting our past. The 1619 Project, we won't have a history in common. We're going to be separated from our children because they're being fed this garbage. Yep. And so we, we want to build this foundation on the aspects of history. So that's why history matters. That's, right. that's why Vintage McCoy and uh, awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're enjoying <laughs> that's it. That's why this show matters. That's yeah. Right. The, well, you're here. That's why it matters. <laughs> uh, here, did you hear about this uh, restaurant in Burbank? Mm -hmm. These guys are defying. The, uh, L.A. County is rough. I mean, Ventura yeah. County, pretty pretty decent. I mean, they're still coming after us, but they've been a little more lean. L.A.'s been the worst in the country. L.A.'s been the worst. And there is this, it's called Tinhorn Flats Restaurant in Burbank. And they are... They're, they're, 
uh, spines of steel. They've had 124 complaints, 38 citations during this lockdown, <laughs> wow. and they still continue to operate. They're yeah. amazing, and it, it, it's freedom. They're yeah. exercising freedom. It's coming at a cost because they're dealing with tyrants, but they're refusing to back down, and uh, I, I, I was moved by that. I wanted to read this quote. I have it up here. Uh, Walter Williams from the Young American Foundation said, what our nation needs is a separation of business and state. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Instead of separation of church and state, yeah. business and state. That's right. I thought that was great. Uh, and, and now, before we get to Sam, let's walk him through. We kind of looked at it earlier. The, there was a, a, a clip from CNN with Jake Tapper, uh, the, the staggering differences in reporting. Yeah. And, and here you, you have the Chinese government committing genocide against the Uyghurs yeah. in northern China. The Uyghur Muslims. The, yeah. the Uyghur Muslims and, and they're, they're the party apparatchiks uh, that are just attacking the Uyghur Muslims. Yeah. And then... They're take, in actual work camps. Yeah, they're, they're work camps. They're buzzing their heads. They're buzzing their heads. Yep. They're messing with them. They're, in, they're infringing on their, yep. their religious freedoms. So much for never again. Yeah. And, and, and how does the president of our country respond to the president of China? This is, this is a frightening clip, what he states. Yep. When he's approached by the press on, on the Uyghurs in China, take a look at this clip. It's tragic. The central principle of Xi Jinping is that there must be a united, tightly controlled China. And he uses his rationale for the things he does based on that. And so the idea, I'm not going to speak out against what he's doing in Hong Kong, what he's doing with the Uyghurs in western mountains of, of uh, China and Taiwan trying to end the one China policy by making it forceful. I, I said, and by the way, he said he, he gets it. Culturally, there are different norms at each country, and they, their leaders are expected to follow. Culturally, different norms. It's Come on. It's my truth. Yeah, it's, it's my truth. It's, it's, yeah. yeah, it's culturally. Come on, you, you had a great line. you got to share that. Well, I mean, you know, Mother Teresa and Adolf Hitler just had different cultural norms just different cultural and preferences. Norms. So, you know, one liked to feed people and the other liked to kill them. But, you know, I mean, who are we to impose our American exceptionalism yeah. on other countries? Yeah. I mean, it's disgusting. And, and, of course, an administration that's more pro-abortion than anyone in American history who can't care for life in the womb, of course, is not going to care about it outside the womb. And it just goes to show how much China owns this administration, right? Oh, come on. Now, there's, 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 there's no moral absolutes. I mean, it's cultural differences. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, it's just cultural issues. Yep. So the Uyghurs are allowed to be abused, and the President of the United States looks at the President of China and just says it's okay. Yeah, so those are their preferences. Their preferences. Yep. This, is, this is the world we're living in now. Yeah. So, and, so and the anyone, killing of nine unarmed black men, according to the Washington Post in 2019, is deeply, deeply, systemically evil and racist. But actual Holocaust, actual genocide, is just a cultural preference. Just a cultural preference. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It, they get to decide. When you're in power, you get to decide. Yep, that's right. Yeah. What, okay. Well, Jen Psaki, who is the president's press secretary, yeah. uh, she... Hardly more articulate than him. Yeah. Uh, what, what's her line she keeps, keeps saying? We'll uh, circle back We'll to circle that. back to that. Um, 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 we'll circle back to that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I think I say um more than she does. I'll try to correct that. <laughs> she is on camera... And, and she is confronted with, right. with what the president, in the debate against President Trump at the time, he pointed out the children in cages right. and said this was a moral injustice. Now we find the, ki the kids are back in the cages. Yep. 
and Jen Psaki is, is confronted, and this is what she gets to get away with. Take a look at this clip. This facility, putting people in this facility, was a human rights abuse committed by the United States government, and Joe Biden said, under Trump, there have been horrifying scenes of border, uh, at the border of kids being kept in cages. Now, it's not under Trump, it's under Biden. This is not kids being kept in cages. This is, this is kids, this is a facility that was opened that's going to follow the same standards as other HHS facilities. It is not a replication. This is not kids being kept in cages. This is cages for kids. <laughs> yeah. uh, whatever you're thinking, just, it's just a switch there. Yeah. Yeah. This isn't, these aren't the droids you're looking for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just baffling. I mean, th this, is, this, is what, this is what President Trump at the time said to Vice President Biden in the debate. Take a look, right. look at the clip. This, this, is, this is it. Take yeah. a look at this, this clip. And it makes us a laughing stock and violates every notion of who we are as a nation. Let me ask you a follow-up question. they did it. We changed the policy. Your response they to that? They did it. We, we changed. did not They built the cages. The, they, who, who built the cages, let's, Joe? Let's talk about what who we're talking cages, about. Who built the cages, Joe? Let's talk about what we're talking about. <laughs> who, who built the cages, Let's Joe? talk about something else. Yeah, <laughs> let's talk about something else. And, and now they're back in cages, separated from their parents. That's right. President Biden. Yeah. But With he Joe get, Obama and Biden, yeah. that was their policy. Yeah, he, and, he, and he gets a pass on it. It's uh, kids being kept in cages. That, that was a question to, to Jen Psaki. Are kids being yeah, yeah. kept in cages? Yeah. And, and never forget, last year, the Republican administration under Trump requested additional funding from Congress in order to add more beds at the southern border. And guess who denied the funding? There you go. Well, um, okay. So we're, we'll just move on to the, the next stuff. We've got a couple more uh, areas that I want to take a look at. One is this fact checker that I was pointing out earlier. And so... With this idea of can we call it news? Who's the one who's saying it's true? And and you're watching them just shift everything. And there's mm -hmm. a quote I wanted to share with everybody. And, and this is a professor at Michigan Tech University. He's under attack from leftists after he penned a letter opposing a faculty resolution aimed at mandating systemic racism training. A petition to fire Dr. Jeffrey Burrell has more than 1,500 signatures. And, and basically, it's the same thing that's happening at Oaks Christian School. They're being forced to go through this cultural sensitivity training, and, and he doesn't want to do it. Yeah. He speaks out in opposition to it. And Matt Walsh, a comedian, in, re in reference to the progressive left, he said this. He said, white kids are taught to hate their whiteness. Boys are taught to hate their masculinity. Girls are uh, girls to hate their femininity. Children of all races and both sexes are taught to hate their country. We push self-loathing onto our kids and then wonder why they're depressed and suicidal. Hmm. That's right. Yep. Because if you burn it all down, then you can rebuild from the ashes. Yeah, the only thing, yeah, the, yeah that, that's a great line. What a great, I mean, the secular progressive left, all they can do is deconstruct. That's right. Yep. Any jackass can knock down a barn door. Only a carpenter can build one. That's right. The, this, this is your wheelhouse, Seth, and then we'll get to our guest, because I, I really want you to comment on this, because this was Planned Parenthood on their Instagram this week. This is, they said, Black Lives Matter. Black women have been on the front lines of COVID-19 pandemic as essential workers and as leaders in civic engagement, all while caring for their own families. We owe them the resources they need to be healthy. Hashtag BHM, hashtag stand with black women. And Planned Parenthood posted on Instagram, Black Lives Matter. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what's... Right, so we're talking about like systemic racism and critical race theory today, right? Which is the sort of the ideological bastard child of um, of 
you know, Planned Parenthood, essentially, uh, that were not valuable because of the human nature, were purely valuable because of functions and capacities, and guess who gets to decide who's valuable? Uh, the, the ruling class, those who are in control. Yeah. Uh, you know, Planned Parenthood, you guys need to be aware of this. Please go search this. They actually have a tweet from about a year and a half, two years ago, Rob. And this is this is on a Planned Parenthood official Twitter. It might have been one of the regional ones, but or their action one. But it, it said, um, fact, it is statistically safer for black women in America to get an abortion than to give birth to their child, than to go through the process of childbirth. So you got Planned Parenthood, an organization that was launched by a eugenicist racist by the name of Margaret Sanger, right. who wanted to use birth control through the Negro Project in order to create less black people, and was uh, fans, or rather people like Hitler were fans of her. And she was hobnobbing with the American Eugenics Society and the founders of the American Eugenics Society, who of course believed that those who are um, have in, in mental races. or physical ailments yeah. are, are essentially sort of just like weeds of the human family and need to be eradicated. So that's the founding of Planned Parenthood. This the, is exactly the Maggie what Award, they though, the Maggie Award. I mean, and what was a Life Achievement Award? That was that was classic. Who got that? Oh, uh, Jen Gunter, an abortionist <laughs> last month, uh, who who literally, I mean, makes the profit off of killing off babies, of killing who are disproportionately black babies. But I just want to mention that tweet for you guys to just make you aware of how racist Planned Parenthood is. They're literally tweeting out and telling young black women who already look to Planned Parenthood as sort of um, this leader, this human equality advocate, this human rights advocate, um, someone that will help them plan their families, right? Uh, and then you're telling these black young women who often are getting pregnant at younger ages, hey, if you really care about your health, I mean, you know, you do you, you gotta take care of you. If you care about you and your family and you get pregnant, it's actually safer for us to murder the baby than for you to give birth to that child. So they're literally telling women, yeah. we're here for you to kill that baby because that's safer. So that's how racist Planned Parenthood is, you guys. You well, know, Seth Dillon, uh, Seth Dillon, who's the CEO at Babylon Bee, yeah. he, he made a good point of responding to this. He said, imagine if Nazi concentration camps had existed in the age of social media and had the nerve to post Jewish Lives Matter on their feeds. And that's, what, that's exactly what this is like because there's no greater danger to black lives than Planned Parenthood. Right. Who performs... Number one killer of black... That's right. They perform 33% of the annual abortions, period. Yep. And so if you actually look at the data from the CDC and from Guttmacher Institute, which is Planned Parenthood's statistical, statistical research branch, here's how it breaks down, Rob. Planned Parenthood kills more unarmed black lives in two weeks than the KKK lynched in a century. You want to talk about unarmed black lives? Well, the most vulnerable, innocent, unarmed black life are pre-born black babies that Planned Parenthood murders and puts 79% of their whoa, whoa, surgical whoa, 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 whoa. Seth, abortion Seth, clinics Seth, 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 Seth. in black so, neighborhoods. Slow down. You, 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 you have these, these facts in your mind. They, they come out. You gotta slow down because this. <laughs> no, seriously, I, I get it, but this one, this, this is revolutionary. Sh share it again. Yeah. Please, this is so intense. Yes, absolutely. Wow. Yeah, so Planned Parenthood, according to a study by Protecting Black Life, has 79% of their surgical abortion clinics within walking distance of majority black neighborhoods while tweeting out to those neighborhoods that it's safer for us to kill your baby if you get pregnant than for you to go through the natural process of childbirth that your body was created to go through by God. And so here, we'll just put these, just you can walk, don't worry, you don't have a car, walk right over here, we'll kill, kill your black baby, fulfilling Margaret Sanger's dream through the Negro Project and the inception of Planned Parenthood, which was less black people.
But when you, when you did the comparison about unarmed and the KKK, share that statistic again. Yeah, so Planned Parenthood kills more unarmed black lives in 14 days, in two weeks, than the KKK lynched in a century. And if you break down the stats, Planned Parenthood alone, not the abortion industry, guys, Planned Parenthood alone, that organization, kills about 1,000 black babies um, every day in this country. Now, is Oaks Christian going to talk about that, you think? No. No. No, they're going to divide yeah. between immutable traits and put this heavy burden causing division in the body of Christ, and they're, they're woke, progressive in their approach. That's right. It, it, but nobody talks about this. Yeah. What, why? You know, why would Which you like... is actual systemic racism. This is actual systemic racism. One in two black children in New York are aborted. That's right. Yeah, if you see a pregnant black woman walking on the streets of New York, she's just as likely walking to an abortion clinic as she is to give birth to her child. Tragic. And, and will they cover this? No. No. But the nine unarmed black men who were killed by cops in 2019, according to the Washington Post, is an example of systemic racism. And again, I think um, the Babylon Bee had a, had a good comeback to this in regards to this idea of the police force being systemically racist. All right, good luck with this uh, one. He, he, yeah, if you get yelled at, this is on you. Yeah, so I, I, thought it, I thought it was edgy. Go for well, it. Well, Babylon Bee, I mean, they exist it's, to troll the left, and I think that's exactly it, what we need to it's do. It's satire, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Oh, you got to preface it with satire. That's yeah, right. well, here's it. what he says. He says, maybe if cops performed abortions, people would actually care that nearly 1,000 unarmed black people were murdered today. And according to those nine unarmed black people that were killed by, uh, by cops in 2019, according to the Washington Post, half of them were still attacking the cops. They just didn't have a firearm. So you cut that in half, you got four or five unarmed black men killed unjustifiably because they weren't um, a violent threat to the cop. So five, five. Meanwhile, uh, you've got you know, 300,000 babies killed, period, by Planned Parenthood, okay. and about 300,000 total every year that are just black babies. All right, now let's look at it this way. Uh, what's the first thing that Black Lives Matter or BLM Inc. calls for uh, for police departments? Defunding. Yep. So let's defund Planned Parenthood. Yep, that's right. <laughs> By the same standard. By the same standard. Yeah. All right, let's get to the topic because on, yeah. our guest tonight is going to follow up with, you know, if, if President Biden says the most critical issue in America is white racism, right. and, and he is, he's on record as having said that, take a look at this, this town hall clip. This, this is, these are his words. Take a look at this clip. It's complex, it's wide-ranging, and it's real. You may re I got involved in politics to begin with because of civil rights and opposition to white supremacists, the Ku Klux Klan, and the most dangerous people in America continue to exist. That is the greatest threat to terror in America, domestic terror. And so I would make sure that my Justice Department and the Civil Rights Division is focused heavily on those very folks and I would make sure that we, in fact, focus on how to deal with the rise of white supremacy. Hmm. And, and so he's appointed Merrick Garland. Yeah. And he's going through his confirmation hearing. There's a number of clips. And he is, he is tap dancing to avoid the, the answers that he wants to give but can't because it would shock the American public and you have Congressman Kennedy who is trying to, you know, get him to answer it. Right. 
There's a couple of clips I want to show you with Merrick Garland. Let's just go through them in order and we'll, we'll talk on each one of them. But show the first clip if you would. So an attack on a, uh, a courthouse while in operation, uh, trying to prevent judges from actually deciding cases that plainly is um, domestic uh, um, uh, extremism, um, 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 uh, domestic uh, terrorism, um, an attack simply on a government property at night or any other kind of circumstances is a clear crime and a serious one and should be punished. I don't mean, I don't know enough of the, about the facts of the example you're talking about, but that's where I, I draw the line. One, one is both are uh, criminal, um, uh, but one is uh, a core attack on our democratic institutions. One is domestic terrorism because the court was in session, but the other, you can burn it and bomb it, but if no one's exactly. in session, it's not terrorism. That's right. There was more than one court that was burned throughout the country during the BLM. Oh, yeah, but that's not domestic terrorism. Yeah, no, domestic terrorism um, and, and sedition and what, there are, are what occurred at the Capitol and, and the people that died were all Trump supporters. And we found out that uh, Officer Sickwick, he didn't die from blunt force trauma by a, right. a fire extinguisher. He had a stroke. His mother said he had a stroke. Yeah. But he laid and stayed in the Capitol. He was the poster child for this, this horrific, yeah. you know, they, they, it was a riot. Yeah. And, and this is grounds for impeachment. The president, in, 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 yeah. it's just endless. But, but here he's, you've got buildings burning. And that's not domestic terrorism, right. only if it was in session. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, he goes on further in, in his hearings. Let's take another, a look at another clip. We're, we're almost finished with this, and then we'll get to our guest. Yeah, as I say, that, I think the first thing I should do um, uh, as part of the, uh, my briefings on the Capitol bombing are briefings with um, Director Ray as to where he sees the biggest threat and... Uh, whether the resources of the Bureau and of the Department are allocated towards uh, the biggest threat and the most uh, dangerous and direct threat. Wait, did, did he just say the Capitol bombing? <laughs> I mean, I, did, did, did anything blow up? I mean, I know they found pipe bombs right. that were planted the day before. Right. Must, it, it must have been a Molotov cocktail thrown at cops or something like that. And that's, cr that's, that's awful, but the over 30 lives had died and... Yep. The buildings that were burned. Billions of dollars. Of that's not damage. domestic terror. But yep. this. Yep. I, I think we've got one more. It's almost like the black supremacy of Black Lives Matter is actually more dangerous than the conspiracy of white supremacy in America. No. I don't know. Do you know any white supremacists? I do not. <laughs> Although I would be told that I am one. <laughs> right. Exactly. I'm systemically. Right. Yeah, For saying all humans are created equal. Yeah. That I would. That that's that's prejudice to say we've all been created equal endowed by our creator. Yeah. Right. Let's take a look at this last Merrick Garland clip, and then we'll. Yes, and I, I read, uh, read the opening of that executive order, which defines equity as the fair and impartial treatment of uh, every person uh, without regard uh, to their status, um, and uh, um, including um, uh, the individuals um, uh, who, are in, who have uh, been in underserved communities uh, where uh, they were not accorded that uh, before. But I don't see any any distinction uh, between uh, uh, in, in that regard. That's the definition that was included in that executive order that you're talking about. 
That's one of them. And the last one is we have it's clip 18. And this is this is where uh, Congressman Kennedy is pushing him. And he's saying, does it does that mean that I'm a racist no matter what I do or think? Right. And he pushes him on that. And take a look and then we'll, we'll conclude with a couple of thoughts. I want to ask you about this concept of implicit bias. Yeah. Does that mean I'm a racist no matter what I do or what I think? I'm a racist, but I don't know I'm a racist? Okay, the, the label racist is not one that I would apply uh, like that. Implicit bias just means that every human being has biases. That's part of what it means to be a human being. And the point of uh, examining our implicit biases is to bring our conscious mind up to our unconscious mind. Our conscious mind up to our unconscious mind. Every human being is biased, but is every human being racist? These are this is this is tenuous. This yep. is troublesome. Yeah. And this this, this is, is boxing this, with ghosts, yeah. right? Because how how can I know what thoughts are floating around in your head that might be discriminatory in nature towards me? As Dennis Prager says, I care about your ideas and I care how you treat me. I don't care about what you think because you could be thinking something nasty. But if you don't voice it or act upon those ideas, then I will never know, and it won't negatively affect me in any way. What's far more dangerous for our country, for the church, and for the conservative movement is the very obvious bias against conservatives based off of their political affiliation, yeah. rather than some discriminatory thoughts that every human being might occasionally have, but basically none of us actually act on in uh, you know, a bigoted way towards another. Now, you, you've, got, you've got two little ones. You and your wife uh, raising these these young children. You got you got a lovely family. They're they're not of uh, preschool or middle school, elementary, middle, high school yet. Right. You've got decisions to make. You and Olivia have decisions to make. You got Oaks Christian High School. They're they're doing sensitivity training. They're saying that there's systemic racism. Right. They're putting this Goodbye. burden uh, on your children because yeah. of an immutable trait. They're being told this. It's not unifying the body of Christ. This critical race theory has invaded the body of Christ. Is at a major school, Christian school. Yep. People are paying tens of thousands of dollars to send their children there. Yep. They they want them to have a, a relationship with the Lord, and this is what they're they're teaching. And this, as we saw last night with David Engelhart, and then we're going to see tonight with yep. Sam Musgrave. This has to be refuted, yeah. and it has to be fought. Yeah. And I would just say to the, the parents whose children go to Oaks Christian, don't put up with this. I, I've sat, there's some amazing faculty members and administrators at Oaks Christian. I, I really do believe that these are men and women who love the Lord and want to do the right thing. How this took root in our community and is now being thrust upon I, the faculty, yep. I, I, don't, I don't know who is pulling the strings to have allowed this to occur, but th this is dangerous. And if, if, if your kids go to that school, parents, you need to let the faculty and the administration know this is not a Christian teaching. That's right. this, this is vile, and it has to be stopped. And, and, and this, is, this is not of the Lord. Now, we've gone through the Galatians study with David last night. And tonight, I want to bring in a dear brother, a pastor. He's uh, up in uh, my old alma mater area, Fresno, California. His name is Sam Musgrave, Pastor Sam. He, uh, unlike me, I'm, I'm not an Arminianist. I'm not a Calvinist. I, I consider myself a Biblicist. 
Sam is a Calvinist, but he's, I, I don't have disdain for Calvinists, but he is the coolest Calvinist I've ever met. I just love this guy, and there's wisdom. I think his parents were missionaries. I want to hear the whole story, but he's going to take us through a remarkable study in the book of Romans so that you know the Word of God and can refute this critical race theory from the Scriptures itself. And Sam has done a remarkable work. So please welcome my dear friend, Sam Musgrave. Sam, welcome to Vintage McCoy. Uh, Thanks for enduring all the stuff that we covered while you were patiently waiting in the wings. Talk to us, brother. What's going on? Hey, listen, I was so completely entrenched in the show, I forgot that I was going to be on it. So it's a privilege to be here. <laughs> well, you, you, you need to be here because, as you know, our community is, we're up against some troublesome issues at a Christian school, the largest Christian school in Ventura County, Los Angeles. People drive all the way from Santa Barbara to bring their kids to Oaks Christian. And, and they're, they've got this Brian Lawrence who's, who's educating them. We put clips up there. They're just awful. And, and this burden of critical race theory and this idea of systemic racism and putting this burden on children because of an immutable trait and telling them that they, they have to carry this guilt and this shame, this is not out of Galatians. And then when we were talking on the pastor's forum, you said, not just Galatians, I, I, I did a study with my church on Romans. And, and Sam, I can't wait to hear it. I, and I want the yeah. folks, because I, I know your teaching ability. I've been blessed by your insights. And I know the folks are in for a treat. But before we get there, mm. tell, tell us a little bit about yourself. What's your background? Yeah, so I've been born and raised in Fresno, Clovis area, California, where you went to school at Fresno State. Um, I was brought up. Go Bulldogs. By, that's right. By God's grace, I was brought up in a church that preached the gospel and taught the Bible. And my dad and my mom decided to move to the Philippines with New Tribes Mission at the time, now Ethnos 360, um, and was privileged to spend three years of my life on the uh, mission field in Palawan in the Philippines. Uh, Jacques Crusoe called it the last frontier. It was, um, we were talking real, authentic tribal peoples on this island that had never heard the gospel or scripture in their own language. And so uh, quite the tip of the spear, if you will. And yeah, yeah, the Lord used that and other things to call me into ministry at a young age. I was thrown into ministry at 19 years old. So um, by no choice of my own. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, you were predetermined to be. Yeah, yeah. You're Calvinist. (laughs) You're predetermined. Right. Yeah, right. You know, I definitely sympathize. I sympathize with your sentiment there, Rob. I I, too, probably my greatest hero from church history, aside from those in the Bible, would be Charles Spurgeon. And both Calvinists and Arminians would look to Spurgeon as a man who really typified wanting to bleed bibline, as he would say. And so I'm, I'm right there with him. I, I love you had shared a story earlier uh, that I was really intrigued by in regards to Whitfield and Wesley. Can you, yeah. can you recount that for everybody? Because that, that's kind of our friendship. I, I've been so blessed yeah. by you. Yeah, and it's likewise, brother. It's been such a treat. George Whitfield was what we would now call a Calvinist, and John Wesley would have been what we now call an Arminian, not to be confused with Armenian, the <laughs> ethnic people group. 
Bruce Beloyan, Bruce Beloyan, Dr. Beloyan would say that uh, one is a superior theology and the other is a superior race. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the rest of us are Odars. That's right. O Odars Armenian for other. Yeah. 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 The Gentile to the Jew. So, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah my, the dearest family that um, I'm friends with is an Armenian family. So I say that with, with great affection. As do I. But yeah, George Whitfield was a Calvinist. John Wesley was an Arminian. And there came a point, I won't say who was largely responsible for the rift, but there came a conflict between the two of them over this particular issue. Both of them had remarkable, remarkable evangelistic ministries that we now um, prize and admire. But as you can imagine, at every point in church history, there are those who secretly try to come in and cause division, and they were no exception. There were men and women who were trying to divide them, trying to uh, contribute to the conflict, and one individual in particular was going back and forth between these two men, John and George, um, and trying to stir up strife between the two of them. Finally, um, this divisive individual came to George Whitfield and said to him uh, in the hearing of other people, do you think we'll even see John Wesley in heaven? And George Whitfield, fed up with all of this, says, no, I don't think we will. And this man thought he had won a victory for you and I now know to be Satan but George steps in and says, we won't see John Wesley in heaven because he will be so close to the throne of God and you and I will be so far back, we shall scarcely catch sight of him. And that is the kind of grace that we want promoted within the body of Christ when it comes to theological issues That's like right. this. Yeah. yeah, first principles. Yeah. That's a good word. Uh, before you get into Romans, I want to say thank you. I don't, I don't know if our viewers understand this, and, and we're going to have him on the program, and I can't wait, but Vishal uh, Magnawaldi, I got to know him. Well, let me correct that. I was, I, I was given the title of his book, and it was lauded by Pastor Ken Graves at Calvary Chapel, Bangor, Maine, and then from that, realizing that he goes to your church, and then you got us connected, and he came and spoke when we uh, signed the Declaration of Dissent. Mm. And what a precious man and what an amazing author. And when mm. his new, newest book comes out, we're gonna, we're gonna have him on the program, but thank you for Wonderful. introducing us to that great blessing. Yeah, he is a treasure and the Lord is using him mightily uh, to advance the kingdom and to take dirt for Christ. Yeah, amen. All right, come on. Now, we, we started going over the critical race theory. I, I was just promoting and praising David Engelhart's teaching on Galatians, and both you and James Cadiz uh, came out and commented, well, yeah, Galatians is a good study, but Romans is even better mm -hmm. when it comes to contending for critical race theory. Tell me what you got, Sam. Help the folks, because yeah. they're all needing this encouragement. Yeah. I, first of all, I would never disagree with David. I had just happened to, in God's providence, I'll sneak that in there, um, taught on Romans 9 this past Sunday, 
at another church in town. It actually wasn't the church, Trinity Community Church, where I serve. It wasn't there. Um, a pastor had fallen sick and it asked me to, to come and take the pulpit for him. Um, so it was good. I was able to dust off some, some notes from Romans 9 and teach the whole chapter in two different sermons there uh, and was just blown away. And so when this came up in our discussion among the pastors, I thought, oh my goodness, yeah, this was wonderful. The whole occasion for the book of Romans, few people know that every book in the Bible was written for a reason. And of course, there's a divine reason from uh, the author that is God. But we also don't give respect to the fact that there's a human reason. There's a human occasion um, that's going on in history, in time. And the occasion for the letter of Romans is that there is a huge conflict between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians at the church located in the city of Rome. And Paul writes to that church for several different reasons, but I believe that perhaps the the greatest of which is that he wants to solve this racial issue among brothers and sisters in Christ at the church in Rome. And I think it's quite easy to prove Um, at any point, feel free to interrupt me because the Lord knows that as a preacher, I can preach and he's not giving me the gift of brevity. So, (laughs) um, help me out on that. But what I want to say is, don't worry, I will. Okay, good, good. (laughs) Paul begins the book of Romans with the following words. He says, Romans 1, 1, Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. Now that alone is worth years, worth millennia of study. Paul, and the word is, let's not shy away from this, a doulos of Christ Jesus. A bond slave or an under rower or something like that. A a slave. um, A slave of Christ Jesus. That word Christ is a Hebrew word, which we say, we, we actually use it often in Christian circles, Messiah. Um, the Greek translation being Christ. Uh, some English translations will put it as anointed. Psalm two is huge in our understanding for this. It uses three terms to refer to the coming Messiah uses Messiah or Christ it uses son, and in context, it's the son of God, and it uses the word king. And I am thoroughly convinced that a lot of the New Testament is devoted to expositing Psalm 2, showing that Jesus is the Messiah or the Christ, the son of God, who is, in fact, the king. And what troubles me is that we use kingship as a trendy sort of, I don't know, preppy idea. And we don't really deal with the consequences of the kingship of God. I personally think that's the big deal in scripture. I think that God is king and the kingdom of God worked out in history by his covenants and so on is the big deal in scripture. And I think Paul thinks that. Paul says, I'm a slave of King Jesus. 
And he begins the first five verses in Romans showing that Jesus is in fact the king. He's the heir to the throne of David, King David. And he describes how this lands on us, whether we be Jews or non-Jews, which scripture do you, do you calls want me to, Do you want me to, uh, we, you want us to put up the passage and read it so, you, so the folks yeah. can see this? Yeah, All right, let, 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 me, let me bring up the, the passages because I know that you, you had this set. So we have Paul, a bondservant, uh, a slave of Christ Jesus, doulos, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets and the holy scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his namesake, and you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Amen. I got all six so, verses in there for you. Incredible. <clears throat> you read them quicker than I would have, so thank you for doing that. The clear purpose for writing Romans is to bring about, as you just read, the obedience of faith. And if Christ means king, if Jesus is the king, then faith is faith fealty, it's faithfulness to King Jesus. And you can't have fealty to the king without obedience, which is why Paul says, I'm working to bring about the obedience that comes from fealty to the king among all the ethnicities is the word in Greek. Watch this. Romans 16, 25 to 27. Why don't you read that for us again? Rob, you got it. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Now that's not that's not NASB. I know you guys like the uh, what was it the uh, Alexandrian text. We're more into the Masoretic yeah. text, but that's all right. Well, at Trinity Community Church, we actually use the ESV typically, but uh, that translation was wonderful. Did you see how Romans begins and ends the same way? I'm writing yeah. all of this to bring about the obedience that comes from faith. This is his yeah. gospel. Well, the word gospel comes from the Old Testament. You look at passages like Isaiah 52, 7, uh, which is quoted actually in the book of Romans at the most evangelistic portion, which is chapter 10. Paul, of course, begins Romans. uh, If you read on in chapter one, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to all those who believe to the Jew first. Right. And then to the non-Jew or then to To the the Gentile. Yeah. Yes. And this is how, for, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God, being put right with God, is revealed. How we're put right with God is revealed. It's a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, or by faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And he expands on that in chapter 10, verses 9 to 17. 
man, your people are on it. We are going here. Yeah, that, yeah. that if, if you, you want me to read it, please, Rob. Thank you. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You want me to keep reading? Please. How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Amen. You know, it's amazing that Paul quotes Isaiah 52 in providing a definition for what the gospel is, what the good news is. What is the content of the gospel? What are we believing and confessing when we believe, trust the gospel. Well, Isaiah 52, 7 says this, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says, okay, what is it? What is the good news? What is peace? What is good tidings? What is salvation? Here's the content. Your God reigns. Amen. It's kingship. There's a king, and you bow to him or you perish. That's Psalm 2. That's the entire Bible. So faith is in the victory of the king who lived the righteous life, died the righteous death, resurrected, lives forever, even now, and is going to return and establish his kingdom in its fullness on the planet. Our faith is fundamentally political. The number one definition of temple in the Old Testament is not temple in the religious sense. It's palace, the king's palace. That's why Isaiah in Isaiah 6 sees the Lord seated on a throne in the temple, in his palace. Right. Faith is fundamentally pledging allegiance to God as our king. And sadly, we're seeing very little of that in the American church currently. Um, I think this so Sam, applies. Um, yeah. we, I think that's a beautiful foundation, but I know a lot of um, people are still kind of confused by this idea of critical race theory. I think they mm -hmm. understand some of the basic premises, uh, but I think a lot of people have pressed, like, give me a definition of critical race theory. What are its fundamental assumptions? What's its fundamental worldview? We kind of go, um, I'm not really sure that I'm guilty somehow if I'm white. So could you provide us with sort of an understanding of some of the, the assumptions of critical race theory or maybe the foundational worldview that it's built yeah. upon? And then, and then how what you just laid out to us and will continue to build out sort of stands as what we would argue, right, a stark contrast. Right. Good question. So the big assumption of critical race theory is that everything and anything in human experience 
comes back to race and the tensions between racial groups or ethnicities. That is the bedrock of it. And there's a lot that we can explore that relates to it. But the fundamental problem with this idea is that it is theologizing, at least in the church, right? I'm a pastor. And so in dealing with the church, the tremendous flaw is that they are developing their theology, not from God down, but from man up. Hmm. So everything deals with race because that's who we are as humans. And we're ascribing or projecting that onto God, which is a fatal flaw for any person. Yeah, that's a solid word. Well done. Well done, Sam. Yeah. That ball's still sailing over the fence. (laughs) So you see in Romans, I'll try to do this pretty quickly here, but in chapter 2, verses 9 to 11, you see how judgment and salvation are articulated by the apostle in terms of certain races. It's interesting. He says, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil for the Jew first and also to the Greek, but of glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. Verse 11, I mean, right I there, mean that, that, that ends critical race theory right there, verse 11. That's it. That's right. We're done. Yep. Let's go home. You're exactly right. Let's go home. It's done. <laughs> the gospel is to the Jew first and then the Greek. The, the judgment of man is to the Jew first and then the Greek. And Paul writes in chapter 3, all are condemned, Jew or Greek. What then? Are, are, are the Jews better off? Not at all. For we have previously charged that both Jews and Greeks, they're all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not even one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There's none who does good. No, not one. I mean, could he be even any more emphatic whatsoever? There are yeah. no there are no ultimate privileges that put one race over the other in the eyes of God. He is impartial. He doesn't wink at any race and say, hey, you know, you get in on a less strict standard. No, we're all under sin. And the salvation is the same, that it must be by faith or fealty, allegiance to King Jesus and his righteousness. Can I, let, let me, may I interject here? I was going to say can. Yeah. I, I know I can. May I? <laughs> so if, if you have more melanin than I do, mm-hmm. I, I am systemically racist towards you. I must carry a guilt. I no longer have the ability to speak because everything I do and whatever I say is geared towards subjecting someone with more melanin to, to being submissive to me, and thus I've lost my voice. However, if someone with more melanin than I possess carries conservative principles and stands in, in defense of what we're describing, they're relegated to being irrelevant in this discussion because they're not really uh, people of, of color. They say they've internalized whiteness. They've internalized whiteness. Mm. So this really isn't about the color of skin as much as it is a political position. Yep. 
Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly right. I mean, how crafty would our enemy be? Is our enemy for ascribing to truth? I mean, we're even talking lately. The big story is mathematics and the scientific method is white. What? How crafty is the enemy to ascribe to things that are just fundamentally true some sort of racial prejudice so that we discard those things and rid ourselves of what is absolutely true? You know, I talked about Psalm 2 earlier, and for our readers, I know I didn't send this one to our our people here, but the way that Psalm 2 begins is quoted about Jesus. It says, why did the rage and the nations rage, the ethnic, the ethnicities rage, and the people's plot in vain? The kings of earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. They conspire against the Lord and against his Messiah. That's what's happening. That's what's always been happening. That's what's going to continue to happen in the world. We shouldn't be surprised about this in the world. We should be shocked and horrified that this has seeped into people who call themselves the church. Yeah. This is abominable. Right. That's true. Yeah. And they're not even saying that it's a, sort of a secular worldview that they're friendly to. They're calling it Christianity. Yeah. I mean, they're actually saying that this flows out of my command to love neighbor. Uh, and yeah. so, therefore, white people... Uh, by dint of their skin color, actually have to shut up, regardless of whether their uh, family came here as immigrants and had nothing to do with slavery, even if they came after uh, you know, Jim Crow ended and after we had full equality in the civil rights. It doesn't matter. As long as you have white skin, you have to shut up because you're systemically racist. And they call this Christianity. They say this is how we're loving neighbors, by correcting historical wrongs. Even yeah, though my I'm ancestors... My oh, go ahead. I'm loving my neighbor by saying, I am superior to you, and I apologize for that. <laughs> right, right, right. That's ridiculous. Yeah. It's, and and let's, let's teach it in our Christian schools. Yep. Mm. Let's, let's indoctrinate our children because, now, granted, your study through Romans, and I know James is going to be just as, as spectacular, that the two of you together are going to really equip us and bless us, but I'm going to say something about David Engelhart's side going through with Galatians. The, the one part that gets me is the fact that they're, they're putting a yoke on our children. They have to carry this burden. This, the, his yoke is easy. His burden is light. And this yoke that you have to walk around with this shame and this guilt of an immutable trait, this is not Christianity. No. This, this, is, this is demonic yep. and awful. And it's, it it's being espoused in our own Christian school here in our community. Are you dealing with that with any of your Christian schools in Fresno? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Uh, we've got, yeah, we've, we've got I've, one of the young ladies that's in the young adults college group at our church. Um, she's the president of TPUSA on a oh, campus right. of oh, a Christian right. university in town. Yeah, Fresno Pacific. Yeah. And sadly, we're seeing uh, attempts at canceling this club on campus. Right. And that is, I, listen, brothers, I'm, I'm grieved. I'm optimistic. I hope that there's a change of mind and a change of heart. Um, I don't want to uh, condemn and put beyond all hope um, 
what's going on, I pray that the Lord is more than able, abundantly Amen. able to do more than we can ask or imagine. Good and I think that. sometimes we can we can really fall into a defeatist mindset that, hey, That's you know, word. sayonara, this is this is we need to pray. Sam, I I so appreciate that because I I can say with certainty that that I, I have met many of the faculty members at Oaks Christian and they are good people, and I think they're just bewitched by bad theology, mm-hmm. thinking and and I really do I think. I, I believe that they think they're doing the right thing, but they're 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 being bamboozled, yep. mm. and and they're they're subjecting our kids to problematic and destructive theology and ideology. Mm. So, right. mm-hmm. but but they're they're not the enemy; they're the opportunity. That's that's, that's so exactly right, good, yeah. Sam. Which I think it just raises the awareness of the importance of raising your voice. Yeah, because mm-hmm. like like in times of real racial tension before the Civil Rights Act, certainly before slavery was abolished. What Lincoln acknowledged then is something we have to acknowledge now, which is that assumed premises, assumed ideas, especially when undetected, can destroy a nation. And these Mm -hmm. ideas are being assumed, Mm -hmm. right? Um, But people aren't aware of them. I mean, that's what Mm C.S. Lewis said, the most dangerous ideas in a society are not the ones being argued for, they're the ones being assumed. Yeah. And mm. we're seeing these ideas being assumed within the church, and they're being defended under loving neighbor, the mantle of loving That's neighbor. Right. But these ideas are actually undetected. You actually can't ed- explain the ideas behind the BLM Incorporated and the whole movement that drives this worldview. You can't explain those ideas, but you're allowing them into the walls of your church, and they're wreaking havoc and confusion, and our God is not a God of confusion. But that's, that's what I enjoyed about David Engelhart's study with Galatians, is he said, you know, the, the, the word beguiled is you're shallow in analysis. Mm. I thought that was a great way to look mm. at mm. the way he was uh, uh, speaking to that's right. the, the Galatians, that you are shallow in analysis. You really mm. have to dig deeper on this, because it is mm. problematic and troublesome and dangerous. Yeah, mm. yeah it's amazing. Um, you know, I, I realize that this this potentially... Uh, could be very misleading for some people, but Paul says that the Jews are very privileged in Romans. They've received the scriptures, they've received the covenants, they've received the worship. For crying out loud, God became man from their race, he says. He says, of course, they've got an advantage, and yet ultimately without a new heart, it's no advantage in terms of rightness before God. But at no point in Romans does he ever say, now Jews, Jewish Christians, listen up. You need to apologize for being Jewish. Check and he never says to privilege. the Gentiles. Yeah, at the temple. Yeah. He never says to the Gentiles, the non-Jews, now uh, Gentiles or non, non-Jews, non you need to demand reparations from the Jews or any of any things of that nature. Um, we don't have any of that. It's just absolutely absurd that people tie this with gospel. It's it's anti-gospel. It's anti-God. It's anti-Christian. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I think I think we need to leave it Good at that. Word. that. That's a great word. I'm so so thankful for those insights, Sam. What a what a joy to call you my brother and friend. I mean, we got to know each other through Charlie Kirk. I mean, he. Yeah. How did you and Charlie meet? <laughs> it's funny. I actually heard him mention Vishal Mangawati's book on his show. And so I just wrote to uh, the website saying, hey, Vishal goes to my church. If you guys want to touch base with him, I would love to connect you. And Charlie reached out personally and gave me 
gave me his number and we started talking over uh, the phone and then he included me with you and a few others at the time pastors that were like-minded and and one thing led to another yeah really fun so thankful for charlie and his his uh reach yeah god is is wonderfully using him and uh so thankful for the connection with you sam well um i i i you had made a point that we need to be praying for these folks. And so yeah. I'm going to ask you to do just that. Would you, yeah. would you pray for these teachers, not only at, at our school at Oaks Christian, but also for the Christian teachers, especially in Fresno and, and all across the country, that they wouldn't be beguiled, shallow in analysis, that their eyes would be open. Seth, as you were pointing out, that with the Lincoln insight, that they wouldn't just assume this, that they would go deeper and that their eyes would be open and our kids would be set free and protected from this, this evil. Yeah. Would, you, would you pray for us for that? I will pray. And let me say that I graduated from Fresno Pacific. I even taught there for a while. I love the school and I'm very hopeful for it. So um, I went I to seminary there. You, did you really? You went to the Mennonite Seminary there. Mennonite Brethren Biblical Seminary. Wow. Well, let's let I know that our hearts are the same. Our, our hearts are Paul's heart in Romans 9, where he's praying for his fellow Israelites and just grieved beyond um, all understanding. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for the reality that you are all powerful. You know this all. None of this takes you by surprise. When the earth uh, wobbles and you hold it up steady, Father, and you judge and bring about exactly what's right just at the right time, all the time, everywhere. And so we trust you and we thank you in advance, Father, for the way that you are going to work, the way that you're already working. You're waking people up. You're illuminating their minds and their hearts to the truth of the gospel. We ask, Father, that you protect your people and you grow your people and you keep them safe from the lies of the enemy. And we know that this critical race theory is one of those destructive lies. And so we ask that you would, our king, build your kingdom. You don't tell us that we build your kingdom. You don't say that you will build our kingdom. You promise you will build your kingdom. And so we trust in that. We glory in that. We rejoice in that. And we thank you for this time today to discuss these most important matters. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Boom. <laughs> Sam, thank you, brother. I'm going to bless you with, uh, we do this, we've been doing it, gosh, I don't know how many episodes, but um, it's a tradition for us, and I'm just going to do the, the blessing out of Numbers 6 for mm. you. And this is for you and your family. Uh, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you. And may the Lord be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up His countenance upon you, Sam, and give you peace. And I do want to say, ladies, that He is available. <laughs> that's a, that's, that guy's a cat. I mean, if I had a daughter, you know, his age. I'd... Well, Rob will screen them before sharing yourself. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. you know, you don't get racehorses out of mules. you got to mate them up. And, uh, that's right. <laughs> Well, it's it's thank you thank you for the, the blessing the, the uh, yeah the blessing we'll leave it at that all right man well it's thanks for joining us and 
we want you to come visit us again. I know you, you came when uh, Vishal was here and we signed the declaration, but I'd love you come and take the pulpit one of these days soon. Oh, that would be a tremendous honor. Both you, Pastor Rob and Seth, the vanguard of the unborn, it has been a joy to be here with you. Bless you, brother. Thank Thanks, you. Sam. Bless you. you rock. <laughs> See you around like a donut. I look forward to it. <laughs> All right, man. Well, uh, Sam Musgrave, Pastor Sam Musgrave, Fresno, California, Trinity Church is what he said. I'm pretty sure. I hope I have that right. He's going to text you now. Oh, he is? Yeah, he's going to text me. Well, either way, yeah, he's all. I, I should have asked him for uh, some of his social media content. We can do that next time. Great study, encouragement. Tomorrow night, James Cadiz, he's going to go through another insight on critical race theory. E- educate those in positions of authority that the kids need not be subjected to this. This, does, this has no place in the body of Christ, certainly has no place in Christian schools. Okay. Get rid of it, cast it out. This is a mess. Let's, this is what the scripture says. Let's deal with it, folks. Yeah. We're not putting this burden on our kids, right? That's right. Yeah. Well, hey, Seth, thank you for joining us, brother man. Yeah, thank you, Pastor. Folks, thanks for being with us. We'll see you tomorrow night with James Cadiz. Hey, guys, thanks for watching. For more information, head over to vintagemccoy.com or follow us on Instagram at The Vintage McCoy. We'll see you there.